0: So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Hey, this market, at least it can bounce, even if it's only temporary. The averages opened strong this morning, then rolled over, then rebounded near the close. Dow ultimately closing up 83 points, S&P advancing 0.01%, NASDAQ gaining 0.45%, while the nosedive after the strong opening was indeed gut-wrenching. I found the comeback somewhat refreshing, especially since this market's on track for the worst December since... Nineteen thirty one. Rather than focusing on why we came back down, the usual litany of, whoa, the uh, ec- worries about an economic slowdown right as the Fed is likely about to raise interest rates one more time tomorrow. Seems a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? I-, I think it's more helpful to look at this morning's rally and the late afternoon rebound. Why? Because it gives us a taste of what might happen if the Fed does the right thing tomorrow. It <laughs> makes it clear that they'll wait to see how the economy's doing before they continue to put the screws to it. So what drove the bounce? Last night, I laid out a list of things that needed to happen. Remember that? Before the market can bottom. You Yeah, know what? We got some positive developments of some of these. First, I said we needed to see some movement toward a trade deal. Now, we didn't get any, anything from the Chinese, uh, where President Xi very pointedly said, no one tells China what to do. However, we did get some from outside. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said he expects trade talks with China in January. That helps, although to be fair, the fact that there will be talks at all is pretty low is it, especially since the talks haven't done much good so far. Still, this market's desperate for any good news about China. Second, we wanted the stock of Johnson & Johnson to stop getting hammered after the baby powder asbestos allegations. That caused the company to lose uh, roughly, I don't know, $50 billion in value over the course of two trading days. You never want to be accused of hiding asbestos in your products, especially not baby powder. But last night, CEO Alex Gorsky came on our show and offered what I thought was a serious rebuttal. I did my best to bring up every single major allegation from Reuters and The New York Times. I, I think Wall Street was appeased. Investors like it. At the same time, Gorsky announced a $5 billion buyback on the show. Plus, it sure didn't hurt that the lead plaintiff's lawyer in this case came on Squawkbox this morning and said that investors might be overreacting, telling us the losses would be contained if J&J would just settle. Third, I told you that we needed to see a bounce in the stock of Goldman Sachs, another Dow stock like j and after the endless press onslaught about its association with this corruption scandal in Malaysia that spurred criminal charges against the firm in Malaysia. Now, there's been a tremendous drumbeat of negativity here, most of it deserving, frankly, with people wondering whether Goldman's culture was corrupt and whether the company should have known that the former prime minister was siphoning billions from deals that Goldman did for one MDB, Malaysia State Investment Fund. How would they have known? The argument is that something must have been fishy because the fees were so outside. 10% of the more than $6 billion that Goldman Sachs raised for the fund. But I know for a fact that the Malaysian government gave Goldman written notice that the money would be used for legitimate purposes. And huge fees aren't totally unusual for difficult foreign transactions, although these did seem outsized to me. Still, there's a growing consensus the top echelon of Goldman had to know these deals were dirty. The company hasn't been able to defend itself. You don't talk about the specifics of ongoing litigation if the Justice Department is involved. But the stock was finally able to bounce today. It created more of a positive backdrop for the broader market, even though... The banks remain one of the worst places to be, save for the oil companies. Fourth, even some fang. Got that there. Some fang had some bounce. I mean, this was amazing. Remember, that's the fang, not the fang. fang. Uh, uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, now Alphabet. There were no real news here. I mean, obviously, Facebook's brand is tarnished, but the advertisers still need them to reach the audience. Duh. Uh, Nothing good from Apple. story in the Journal about how iPhone sales in India have dropped 40% year over year. Ouch. Did Apple stock went higher. Amazon. Today we learned that a key retail executive is leaving the business after two-year hiatus. I read some research declaring that this departure is a big negative, uh, but the stock rallied anyway. It's a welcome change of pace. I saw a good ad for Alphabet in the paper. Okay, I couldn't find anything else. Uh, what matters is that these stocks actually can bounce, which I think many people had given up on. We also got some terrific news from Boeing last night. Which uh, at this point, which they announced a twenty percent dividend boost and a $20 billion repurchase authorization. So we're going to speak to Boeing CFO Greg Smith after the break. So then why the heck did the averages roll over this afternoon, at least until they started bouncing again right before the close? Remember, if we're going to get a sustained bounce, we need one thing above all others. After the rate hike, everyone's expecting tomorrow. The Fed needs to make it clear that they'll wait and see rather than continue to tighten. And we don't get that news until after two tomorrow. Without it, it's very hard to get a sustained advance. So let's go over the possibilities as we head into the Fed meeting. Maybe the Fed raises interest rates and stands by its early assertion that we need three more hikes next year to stamp out wage inflation caused by full employment. Okay, well, that would be completely disastrous. I'm mean, going call it the grizzly man scenario because it ends with us getting devoured by the bears. I want to be a diplomat here. If the Fed goes this way or even if it doesn't repudiate it, I think there'll be... Uh, Ill-advised. On the other hand, maybe the Fed hits us with one more rate hike and says it wants to wait and see to gauge the impact before taking any further action, and it's going to be data-dependent. They can cite the collapse of oil prices down another three bucks and change today, pretty horrific, actually, as a reason to hold off. Is oil going down because the economy's collapsing? Are oil-related loans going to crush the banks? I think we should find out before the Fed slams the brakes again. I mean, this is the rational approach, and if the Fed takes it, we could neutralize the bears among us. Third, the Fed can simply say that it's not going to tighten because its work is done. With the economy slowing for a variety of reasons, we really don't need another rate hike here. We saw a huge decline in single-family housing starts this morning. After the close, FedEx talked about slowing worldwide growth. Hideous. Micron talked about slowing semiconductor demand. Horrendous. Both stocks get hammered after the close. I know Fed Chief Jay Powell wants to maintain his independence, so it will be tough to pause here given that the president keeps trying to browbeat him into doing just that. But I got I got a way out for Jake because, like, that's my job is to come up with this stuff. All right. Here we go. He, he, he can blame the slowdown on the president's trade war. Maybe he can get away with it. I heard a lot, I heard a lot of stories like that this morning, even though, frankly, I don't believe them. Bizarrely enough, this is a tough outcome to parse. While no rate hike would be the best result for the economy, and a lot of investors would be appeased, I think there'd be a cohort of money managers who panic because they take their cue from the Fed, and no rate hike means things are much worse than many of these guys seem to believe. Bottom line, today was a dress rehearsal for the kind of rally we can get if the Fed does the right thing tomorrow and repudiates the idea that we need a series of rate hikes in 2019, not just one more tomorrow. If we get the Fed on board, expect more positive action like we had this morning before the market gave up much of its gains. But if the Fed does the wrong thing, expect another nosedive like we got intraday, except we will not be saved by the bell. Let's go to Martin in New York. Martin. Booyah,
2: Jim. Booyah. Booyah. General Financial, Jim. Merger pending
1: with Oceanwide Financial, trading at a substantial discount to the deal. What do you think? Uh, Yeah, you know,
0: too low quality. Uh, I just think that one's too low quality. We actually reviewed it once, and I just don't feel any... I don't have comfort. I don't have comfort in recommending a low-quality insurer like that. Sorry. How about Holly in Wisconsin, please? Holly!
1: Holly, hi, Jim, dear Jim. Thank you so much for teaching me about the stock market. I would like to know... If the many companies who are buying back their stock are using profits to do so, or are they borrowing and going into debt?
0: Well, what i got to tell you, Holly, price- I'm sorry, but that is a great question. And my answer to it is, is that at the beginning of the year, many of them were borrowing uh, as interest rates went up. They've stopped doing that. I would be wrong to tell you I'm not concerned I wish the companies hadn't borrowed so much money to buy back stock. I think it's—I think borrowing to buy any stock, whether you're a company or an individual, is just stupid. Okay? I don't like to mince words. I don't like margin, and I don't like borrowing to buy stock. You can't live in a stock, for heaven's sake. Let's go to Dave in Michigan. Dave. Hey, Jim.
1: Hey, Dave. Uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, the last week in September, I bought, uh, went to all cash in the brokerage CD's. Uh, and I guess my market, my question to you is, uh, do you feel that there's a segment of the market where it might be a good time to start buying back in?
0: Well, I mean, I, I, look, I, I think that this is more of an index fund question, I, mean, I think that I would be committing some money index. I like where you're positioned, though, and so I'm not going to tell you, listen, it's time to get in. There are individual stocks that are reaching levels, but I was surprised when I went over how many stocks are now 5% yield. There were only a few that I felt would really be ones I'd like. We're oversold. We did some buying for my charitable trust today after doing a huge amount of selling, but it was small. And what we bought was, I would say, not that much of consequence. I want to see oil stop going down. I want to see some of these big cap stocks stop going down. And I want to see what the Fed says. There we go. Today was a better day than we've seen over the past few days. Low bar. But a sustained move higher just won't hold until we get that rate hike and then an indication what the Fed is willing, that it's willing to wait and see. Maybe even be prudent, not be rash. Old Man Money tonight. Boeing just announced a quarterly dividend and buyback boost and the stock is reaching higher altitudes. Did it also help change the flight path of this market? I'm talking to one of the company's top executives. Then Walmart may have made its mark offline as the cheapest store in town, but could its online growth grab a bigger piece of the pie? I'm talking to the head of Walmart's e-commerce biz, Find out how the big box retail giant is re-examining its retail DNA. And it might be the middle of winter. But are you already dreaming of your summer days on your back deck like I am? I'm buying an under-the-radar housing play that's disruptive and can help you bank on warmer days
3: outside. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer, hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnBC.com. Hey,
0: let me set the scene here. Yesterday, we were lost in the depths of despair after yet another.
3: multi-day meltdown.
0: Then this morning, we come in and the averages were higher at the open, in large part because Boeing, a market bellwether, announced some very positive news for its shareholders. The aerospace titans give you a 20% dividend boost on top of the 20% boost you got last year, bringing the yield up to 2.6%. That's a sign of confidence. Second, they announced a $20 billion buyback, which is a huge event for a company with $179 billion market cap. In short, Boeing showed you that its business is good, not with words, but with cold, hard cash which is why the stock folded nearly 12%, almost 3.8% today. I mean, $12 or 3.8%. Can it keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Greg Smith. He's the CFO and Executive Vice President of Enterprise Performance and Strategy at Boeing. Learn why the company is returning so much capital to investors and what it means for the future. Mr. Smith, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Okay, Greg, so what gives you the confidence, uh, with a trade war, with an uncertain time, to do this gigantic buyback?
1: Yeah, well, Jim, I think, you know, you got to look at the foundation we have today with our strong backlog. We've got about 5,800 airplanes in backlog, which is about seven years of production. And then as we look beyond that, there's a need for 43,000 aircraft over the next 20 years. So we see a continued growing market, and part of that growing market is a replacement element. And uh, this is about having the right products and services in the marketplace to win, And we've been making, at the same time, you know, deploying cash back to shareholders, we've been making significant investments in the business around productivity and innovation to ensure that we've got the right products and services in the market, not just for today, but in that 43,000 aircraft market combined with a service growth market and a defense market to win. All right, so let's drill, up the confidence.
0: let's drill down on this uh, 43,000. A lot of people say, well, wait a second, Boeing, one out of four planes goes to China. We are in a trade war with China. We're fighting back. President Xi making tough comments just today about the U.S. If they cancel all their orders, wouldn't that be uh, make it so that you shouldn't be buying back stock and boosting the dividend?
1: Well, I think, Jim, again, you got to step back and look at the diversity of not just the backlog, but the market going forward. And just look at the fundamentals you know within China, and there's a need there for about seventy seven hundred aircraft over the next twenty years and we've been working in China for about uh, fifty years and then just drilling down on the fundamentals within the country, the growth in the middle class, and that ten percent of the population has a passport, we see you know continued you know uh, great opportunities there and, and a portfolio that can meet those needs within would- that market over the long term would you have other
0: uh- airlines want those planes if China were to pull back?
1: Well, we certainly got strong demand, in particular on the wide body, Jim, or on the narrow body, I'm right. sorry. We got strong demand, but we also have seen good demand, you know, on the wide body and not just on the passenger side, but we've seen freight coming back and the outlook for freight even uh, even stronger. So, you know, things like the 787, we've booked 109 orders this year, and we just delivered our 787th 787. And as you know, it's game-changing technology we're putting into the market, and that's what's really allowing us to position to win and deploy our capital efficiently.
0: Okay, speaking of deployment of capital, a lot of people are pretty gloomy, Greg. They think that stock market, they can't make money. How about what would have happened if you owned Boeing the last six years, both repurchase and dividend?
1: Well, it's been we've been a big focus, obviously, on cash generation, at the core of the company, cash generation. And... I'll say, efficient and effective deployment. So we've bought back about 230 million shares over the last five years and increased the dividend by about 325%. At the same time, we've put about $40 billion into the business through uh, really innovation and as well as as capital and overall uh, productivity tools that we've put in place. So a balanced, you know, I'd say deployment, but been very consistent, with our with our deployment efforts, and very much you know doing what we said we do, which first and foremost starts with executing to our plan, and delivering strong cash flow and deploying that cash flow in a very efficient manner. Okay, you uh,
0: repurchase program new twenty billion dollar authorization up from eighteen billion
1: approved last December, but the stock is higher. Why would you increase the amount? Yeah, as we just look at our free cash flow opportunities going forward, Jim, and the year-over-year growth uh, profile that we see, we thought $20 billion matched that continued growth that we see going forward, and uh, we asked our board for that authorization, which they gave us, as well as, again, that 20% increase in the dividend. Okay, uh,
0: I was looking at a Canaccord Genuity piece on Boeing saying the Lion Air tragedy, and it's a terrible thing, the fallout continues to weigh on the stock. Is there anything new you can tell us about the Lion Air tragedy and any impact on the company?
1: No, Jim. I mean, obviously, you know, we're deeply saddened by the tragedy of Lion Air, and it weighs heavily on, of course, the whole Boeing family here, and as you know, you know, safety is at the core value of what we do and we've done and we'll continue to do going forward. So we're working with our customer and working with the investigation team and the authorities and, uh, and really, again, really working with them to uh, determine the root cause, and uh, we'll continue to do that until the investigation is complete. Okay, Greg, uh,
0: we had Jim McNerney on a couple of times, the former CEO. Yeah. And at one point I asked him, I said, look, this rivalry with Airbus, is yeah. it, he had gone to Yale, I went to Harvard. Is it like Yale versus Harvard? He said, no, it's not like that at all. Where is the rivalry right now?
1: Well, uh, I'd say we have a competitive edge. Um, and uh, look, it's a competitive marketplace. And, and we're mindful of what the competition is doing, not just today, but I think where we think they're investing going forward and the services they're going to offer. But it, look, it's a big market. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, wide bodies alone. 9,000 aircraft will be needed over the next 20 years. But we welcome the competition, Jim. I think it makes us better. And uh, But the competition is fierce, and, and, you know, we're playing to win. But again, we're trying to make sure we're making the right investments to continue to have that competitive edge as we look at the markets going forward.
0: Okay, so, Greg, you mentioned... Uh, you mentioned- uh, Cargo. This uh, evening, FedEx reported, uh, it's very clear they have to spend a little more than people thought or than anyone thought. I think all these companies have to spend more. Is that good news for Boeing?
1: Well, like I said, I mean, the fundamentals around the freight market have definitely improved. Um, we've got a pretty incredible portfolio of, of offerings, you know, whether it's the 767, the 777, or the 747. And as well as converted, you know, uh, um, passenger to freighter in our services business. So we got a great portfolio and we're certainly, you know, engaged with a customer to ensure that we're meeting their needs. And so, you know, certainly strong growth there, uh, really gets to more demand and, uh, and we're focused on getting, winning that demand and getting them, you know, these game-changing products and services in the time frame that they need them. And that's, that's going to continue, again, to be a big focus for us.
0: Last question. Oil prices have collapsed here. Typically, when oil prices go up, the airlines have to hold back purchasing. Are you getting any feelers from some airlines who are saying, hey, you know something, Greg? Oil prices have really come down. This is really good news for us. We're going to rethink our orders and maybe put in more orders.
1: Yeah, no, Jim, I can't tell you we've seen any shift uh, in the marketplace. Certainly, you know, as you looked over time, there's not a strong correlation between oil price and orders because I think as the customers look at these assets, they're long-term purchased assets. So they don't look at spot price. They look at the overall long-term uh, operating cost of the airplanes and like I said before, you know, things like the 787 are delivering incredible efficiency to our customers and position us to win. So as oil moves and interest rates move around, the value proposition of the airplane still remains uh, very strong. So we're 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 on solid ground here, but we continue to monitor it going forward. Excellent. That's Greg Smith. He's the CFO and
0: Executive Vice President of Enterprise Performance and Strategy of Boeing, uh, announcing a dividend boost of 20% and an increase in share purchase authorization of 20 billion. Definitely the most bullish thing that's happened since this market swooped. May have money's back after the break. Okay, now the market's catching its breath a little bit. We need to search for high-quality stocks that got dumped during the sell-off. They might not be done going down, but at least you can confidently buy them into weakness. Take Walmart, one we really like. When the rest of the market was collapsing in October and early November, Walmart stock actually rallied. It was seen as a defensive name you could take shelter in. By a week in November, it started getting clobbered along with everything else, thanks to worries about the trade war with China, fears of retail slowdown. The stock's down 13% in less than six weeks, even though the latest quarter was incredibly good. I think people don't understand this company. Investors see Walmart as a boring brick-and-mortar retailer with an okay 2.3% yield, and to them it's a value stock. It's not particularly cheap 19 times earnings. That's not what I see. I think Walmart's a transformation story. In recent years, this company's made a series of e-commerce acquisitions. Think JetCom, Bonobos, Flipkart. They're becoming an online powerhouse, leveraging their store base, playing offense Omnichannel is the key to this new Walmart, how it's competing versus others in the space. And Amazon, we got to know, what will the future look like for this great company? Let's check with Mark Lauries, the online entrepreneur who co-founded Jet.com, became the president CEO of Walmart e-commerce US after they bought his company in 2016. This is an exciting story. Mr. Laurie, welcome to Mad Money. Thank good you. To see you. Good to see this you. This is too. exciting, Mark. Thank good you. Good to see you, too. All right. So my wife and I are watching a football game this weekend, and uh, they're sad. And it shows all the different things that uh, Walmart has online. You get delivered. And she says, uh, why don't we use walmart.com? And and I said, well, I didn't even know they did this stuff. (laughs) They do it.
4: (laughs) They do. We do. Yeah.
0: Tell us about it because this is big from even a year ago.
4: No, this is very exciting. This is one of the reasons why I was so excited to come to Walmart. 4,700 stores within 10 miles of 90% of the population, fresh and frozen in every one of these stores just about. And we're doing pickup now, uh, free pickup on groceries in right. 2,100 stores and started rolling out same day delivery as well. We should be 40% of the population covered by the end of this year and 60% of the population covered by the end of next year. So you basically are using the
0: stores as warehouses?
4: Yeah, they're hybrid warehouses. But, the, but the, what's really interesting is that we're moving stuff in full truckload quantities. So if you think about it, like these stores that are doubling as warehouses are already profitable before the first pick. So you have a lot of like good turning inventory, the food is fresh. Okay. Well, this is important because a lot of people told me they're losing a the fortune on this.
0: That just can't be the case. Well, you're the man.
4: Yeah. No. I mean, we're charging for delivery, right. and customers are paying for it, so that's sort of a, a wash. And we're, you know, picking product in the stores that already has a really good sort of marginal profit because the store already profitable, our fixed overheads covered. So. Well,
0: this is something that uh, big competitors Amazon does not have, and theoretically, Amazon cannot really do food the way that you guys can.
4: Yeah, I think this is a big advantage and uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited to be at Walmart. Okay, you could have gone anywhere. Your company is an instant
0: success. Why did you go to a company in Bentonville that a lot of people feel is pretty staid and not that inventive?
4: Yeah, two reasons. One, Doug McMillan. so CEO. Yep, CEO of Walmart. Met him and you know immediately started to, to build a connection and a lot of trust there. He said that he really wanted to empower me and the team to help um, and... No, he's lived up to exactly what he said, so that was the first reason. Okay. The second reason is just the, the sheer like, magnitude of the opportunity. Again, based on the stores, I think stores give Walmart a huge advantage in this sort of like omni uh, approach to retail. Give me a view of what be ha- could happen in a couple of years of what you could possibly do with
0: that store base and some of your ingenuity, which I've known for years because I've followed your story
4: yeah. career. Yeah, no. So I think you know, same day delivery. Like I said, by the end of next year, 60% of the population. Think about sort of the next you know level from that delivery right into the fridge. Okay, so you know, basically a one-time code. You know, they come in with a camera on their chest. You could watch it on your iPhone and see them come in, put it in your fridge and leave to sort of build confidence and trust. And these are Walmart associates doing it. So I think imagine you know going out to work, coming home, and there there is the stuff's in your fridge already. That's the next step. Take it a step further. Not even having to order it. How about just being able to keep you in stock on everything you need and just not even have to think about it.
0: Okay. That's the future. Um, how about these brands? Uh, shoes.com, a Moose Jaw, Hayneedle, Bear Necessities. Where do these fit in the game plan?
4: Yeah, so we have a 2 pronged strategy for M&A. We have specialty retailers, so the okay. ones you said, Shoes, Moose Jaw, Hayneedle. Right. We just bought Bear Necessities um, and those are really to extend that long tail assortment. So once right. we bring people in with fresh and we get them coming back every week, then we want to sell them the long-tail. This helps accelerate our entry into the long-tail. We're getting merchandising expertise. We're getting product content. And then the other part of the M&A strategy is really more offensive. That's the DNVBs, the digitally native vertical brands, Bonobos, ModCloth. We just bought Eloquy. These are brands that are really unique. They have soul. They connect with millennial shoppers, and they give us you know, unique content going forward, and we're looking at building a portfolio of that. Competitive prices versus Amazon. Very competitive. Okay. Very and competitive.
0: And uh, Amazon, I uh, got this Alexa in my house. I always figure that one day it's going to be advertised and she's going to talk to me. But I can say to her, I want this, I want that. Well, what does Walmart got? Because voice is really important.
4: Yeah, no. I, one of the things we're, we're, we're trying right now is something called Jet Black, which is conversational commerce. Um, you basically text or use voice to order anything you want mm-hmm. in New York City. And it's. Really? It's amazing. It's a okay. game changer. We've got uh, six thousand people on the wait list to get on this. Where do you think
0: uh, all the things you're talking about uh, are in the consciousness of the American people? Because look, I'm a student, and my wife's a smart, but she we we don't go to the supermarket. We order from Amazon, and she's asking me about Walmart.com. I mean, it was revelatory.
4: Yeah. Well it's just only in the last few years now. I mean, so this pickup delivery, I mean pickup and delivery of groceries, this is really just the beginning. It's starting to accelerate. But if you fast forward a few years, you can have, you know, ninety percent of the population with access to same day delivery of fresh and frozen food at Walmart prices. Okay, someone who's the great people in this business
0: have taught me that what I really want to measure is not just solely same day, but same store. Will this count towards same store sales which are already pretty darn good for Walmart? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's definitely you know, part of the growth story going and, forward. For and sure. I just want to be absolutely sure again, because people just said you've got to ask them. A lot of times Amazon loses stuff on certain products. you got to ask them to be sure. Is it really profitable? Can it be as
4: additive, or is it just a, a good story? No. We can make money on fresh and frozen, deliver to your door. Right now, we're charging enough for same-day delivery to cover our cost of delivery through crowdsource partners. And like I said... Before that first pick in the store, you've already got a really fat marginal profitability. So that's you're working from a great base because of the store traffic, which is, gives you the turns on the inventory and allows you to pay for your fixed overhead. That's people, the big advantage.
0: The store traffic: 140 million customers visit a Walmart. You got a lot of people work at Walmart. 90% of the population within 10 miles. These are
4: all ad, these are all offensive abilities for you. Absolutely. And again, this is why I'm so excited to be at Walmart. Having a lot of fun. And uh, you know, it's just it's just amazing to One last question. To what was it like when you went down
0: employees? to Bentonville the first time? Because I think it could be a cultural clash.
4: Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I was there years ago with diapers.com talking to oh, Walmart. Really? So I'm familiar with, with Bentonville. It's changed a lot over the years. It's it's definitely, you know, the the Walton family especially has invested a lot. There's some great hotels and restaurants, and I love going there.
0: All right. Well we're gonna we're gonna yeah. keep talking to you because okay. <laughs> I think that you're the most inventive man in retail today. And I'm also proud Jersey, I have to admit, like me. Yeah. And you've just done great stuff. Up. That's Mark Lloyd, He's president and CEO of Walmart, e-commerce, USA. People, this is the most exciting part of a terrific, terrific story, particularly because it's pulled back. Walmart. have money's back after the break.
3: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. We've had this conversation. Who was the first to
0: say it was getting weaker? You were. Who hammered them endlessly? You know, I kind of wish we'd done about a week of it and then been able to move on. I did it every day. People were sick of me. They're sick of me anyway. I don't care. My wife's sick of me. My dog is sick of me.
3: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
0: If you own stocks, you know that everything housing-related has been obliterated here because higher mortgage rates are bad for business and home prices are rolling over across the country. But what if some of these stocks are less levered to new building than people believe? Look at Trex, T-R-E-X. is the world's largest maker of wood alternative decking and railing products. I have them at my house. Basically, they make composites that look a lot like wood yet require far less maintenance. Because it's housing-related, this stock has gone from $90 September to $58, bucks, and that's after catching a nice bounce today. Here's the thing, though. Trex is a dis- disruptor in this industry. The value proposition here is that their products are superior alternatives to wood, and there are a lot of wooden fences and decks that could potentially be replaced. While Trex's latest quarter came in a tad light, the company still generated 19% sales growth, 47% earnings growth. Those are incredible numbers, as long as you believe they're sustainable. So can the company keep this up, or will it be dragged down by the homebuilders? Let's check in with Jim Klein, the president and CEO of Trex Company. Get a better read on how his company's doing. We're Mr. Klein. Welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. How you Thank been? You, Jim. Thank you. Hey, how you been? Have a seat. Okay, Thank so here's you. the deal. Um, we know that housing has gotten weak in this country. Uh, and yet at the same time, we are saying that you are a disruptor, as you heard, and that really you are not as levered to housing starts as you are to
2: repair and remodel. Well, that's exactly right. We're a 95% repair and remodeling play. Only about 5% is new construction.
0: So if that's the case, then even though I know that you had up some inventory changes in September and October, uh, reduction in distributor demand related to rebalancing of the inventory, I imagine that things have snapped back terrifically since you, since you reported.
2: Yeah, this is the time of year when uh, normal deck building starts to slow down a little bit. So right. it's a normal seasonal slowdown, and we start our early buy where we start to stock in the distributors and dealers beginning in December. Now,
0: uh, one of the things I really liked about your deck is that you say the sun never sets on a Trex deck. You're not just a U.S. housing play.
2: That's correct. Uh, We're in about 46 countries around the world, heavily levered into uh, Europe and Australia.
0: Now, you also have other uses. We tend to think of you as just really, but market leader in stadium railing, uh, uh, Bank of California Stadium, Los Angeles Football Club, Little Caesars Arena. Uh, these, this could be a great business that people aren't thinking about when they're only thinking about decking.
2: Absolutely right. We do about 90% of the major stadiums and arenas in North America. 90%? 90%. I don't think people know that that well. I think they're just thinking
0: that, uh, that we go to Home Depot and we
2: get tracks. And that's not just your only distribution. Uh, that's correct. Uh, we're sold in over 6,700 outlets around the world, professional lumber yards, uh, as well as Home Depot and Lowe's, who are very good customers. Why should I use Trex other than beautiful, fantastic wood that my parents and grandparents used? Uh, best performing product, and we've just introduced two new products that are focused on wood, converting wood, pressure-treated wood, to wood alternative. I don't Walk me through that. I don't understand. So we've got two new products. One that's priced at $1.75. Pressure-treated comes in at about 80 cents to $1.10. Okay. So it's a great alternative to convert those people from pressure-treated to using Trex.
0: Okay, uh, talk about what the raw cost is, because I know oils come down a great deal. Natural gas started rolling over. Any impact?
2: Uh, virtually no impact on Trex, okay. because Trex is manufactured from 95% recycled material. Plastic bags, for example, stretch wrap to stabilize pallets. Those types of things are the poly that we use. So we're recycling poly. We aren't using virgin polyethylene.
0: All right, so how does it work? Do you go to uh, distribution places? Look, there's a lot of millennials who are watching the show, and I'm sure they immediately perked up when you said that because they're worried about landfills and they're worried about waste. How do you get the raw product?
2: Uh, We actually go to a variety of uh, distribution locations. For example, a Walmart would be a distribution location we'd target grocery store chains. Uh, we would target uh, distributors of any type. Uh, Boeing, for example, a lot of their their parts come in plastic. Okay. So we get that plastic from them, recycle it, put it into a deck board. Now I know you said
0: that seasonally, you know, obviously it- this when construction slows down, but a lot of people are worried about the decline uh, of the consumer when it, when it related to housing because of higher interest rates. How do you feel about higher interest rates? Do you think the Fed has done that, it, or does it need to keep doing? Because maybe you are hope to find more workers if they slow the economy.
2: Well, number number one, I I don't think that the Fed is going to continue to reduce uh, or increase the uh, interest rates. I just I just don't believe they're going to. I think they're seeing the impact of what they've done thus far. I think we'll probably get a rate increase uh, uh, momentarily, but I think they're gonna slow that increase. From our standpoint, it really doesn't affect us that much. We're, We're basically a consumer product, so consumer confidence is the primary driver for our business. Okay, last question.
0: There are a series of other companies that have come into this business. I know one fellow who left 3M to work on one, and we know that there's uh, someone that's just been acquired. How about the competition? What
2: market share do you have in this kind of uh, of material? Well, based on reports from our top two competitors, they're growing about mid-single digit. This year, Trex will grow at about 12 to 13 percent. We've been doing that consistently over the past four or five years. So the trajectory and market share is expanding quite significantly. We're we're approaching 50% market share on the wood alternative. That's not what we're focused on. We're focused on wood. Wood, all the composite manufacturers, only represent about 17% of the market. 83% Eighty-three percent is what we're going after.
0: Well, I think you you got your eye on the prize. Okay, that that's Jim Klein's president and CEO of Trex, a very interesting stock for those of you who own homes or don't, but are thinking about buying one. Because I got to tell you, I use the stuff, saving me a lot of money. That money's back into the break. It is time. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Ski Daddy. Time for the light round. we over with Brock in Ohio. Brock.
4: Hi, Jim. Booya from the Buckeye State. Love it. What's up? I'm interested in going defensive with Warren Buffett's favorite and 5% dividend yielder, Kraft Pine. Hey, Jim, what's your take on KHC?
0: No, I mean, you know, look, I am a guy who believes that if you're going to own stocks, you got to have some growth to them. Uh, and uh, that one I uh, doesn't have a lot of growth. Yes, Warren does like it. I'd rather own Berkshire Hathaway. Let's go to Alex in Florida. Alex. Hey, Jim, how are you? Booyah. Booyah. What's up?
1: I wanted to get your take on IBKR Interactive Brokers. Uh, I really like the company's platform. I think they got a good thing going on.
0: Yeah, they do. Uh, uh, I think you would like to see more trading. Um, and I'm not recommending many financials right now because there isn't enough trading. Uh, but yeah, it's a good, it's a very good company. Let's go to Brendan, North Carolina. Brenda. Yes, booyah, Jim. Booyah. I just. I just want to take a minute to thank you. You've made us a lot of money on AT&T stock in the past. Well, thank you but very much. Que- You're welcome. Uh, but my question is with the stock KMI, Kendra Morgan. Our cost basis is about 34000 and is paid at about 23000 now. We've lost about
1: 11000 on the
0: Okay. Do we uh,
1: sell Kinder Morgan when it goes up a little? Kinder and Morgan's got, I
0: mean, COVID? I, I, I've been I'm sorry, thank you for those kind words. At 5% yield, uh, yield safe, uh, but I just don't really like the pipeline uh, companies because they have been a huge disappointment. Friends, I like Enbridge. Enbridge is a 7% yielder. I think it's better than KMI. Let's go to Jack in New Jersey. Jack!
3: Jim, you're my financial idol. My oh, stock wow. today is Stitch Fix. I own large quantity. Oh, uh, boy, I that was a bad quarter.
0: Jack, that was a bad quarter. I, it was bad. I mean, I, I don't see, I don't know why to recommend it. It was a bad quarter, plain and simple. Let's go to David in Illinois. David. Hey, Jim, a big booyah to ya. All right. I want to thank you for all you've done for me and thank as you. well as all your other investors. Thank you. And I would like your opinion on Devin Energy. No, Devin's G just G okay. N. I mean, look, it's a domestic. I had a big conference call for uh, ActionAlertsPlus.com club members. And I said, the ENP segment, let's just put it aside right now. Okay, let's just put it aside. Um, let's go to uh, David and Oregon David. Hey, Jim. Hey, thank you so much for all that you do for your listeners. Quite welcome. Today, I, hey, my, my question today is about ZTO Express of China, Zulu Tango Oscar. Yes. Um, the, the UPS of China. Is this a buy, a
1: watch, or a walk away?
0: Um, I want to walk away from that. I, I don't need uh, any China exposure with our countries really going at it, uh, hammer and tongs. Let's go to Don in Massachusetts. Don. Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm good. How about you, Don? Pretty
1: good, thanks. Hey, Jim, I just wanted to say I, like David Faber, do see a resemblance to Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is good, man. That yeah. is good. <laughs> I thought you would
1: get a kick out of it. I like that. How can I help? <laughs> All right. What are your thoughts on uh, T-Doc?
0: TeleDoc is a good company. Uh, it's the kind of long-term speculative company because it's not making any money that I think that younger people might want to be in. But it is very speculative because, uh, let's say, it ain't no work. Let's go to Rick in Wisconsin. Rick.
1: How's it going? Booyah, Kramer.
2: Booyah, Rick. From Milwaukee. All right. Yeah, I really appreciate what you do for the little guy. Thank uh,
0: my you, guy, man. I got
1: HBI.
0: Now, HBI. Yeah, I mean, look, it's got the yield, uh, uh, but I, I need growth. I mean, guys, you have to understand. Like, I, I look at the ATT yield and think there's some growth. Ainsman, uh, there's no growth, and I, I don't want to be in the apparel business right now. It's too hard. Let's go to Brian in New York, Brian. Booya from Brooklyn, Jim. Oh, there you go, Brooklyn strong. See you at the Longshoreman tonight. What's up? Hey, Fall's looking good. Bringing you a little magic again this year. I hope. Oh yeah. Nine is back. Nine is back. What's up? (laughs) My stock's been behaving like the New York football giants. It just keeps to go down and down. Can you help me out with Dow DuPont, Jim? Hey, I met Pat Shermer the other day. He's a really great guy. Um, Dow DuPont, I think it's an ActionLargePlus.com club name. I think it's going to break up next year. It's going to make you a lot of money. You should be a buyer. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Who
0: should we blame for the slowdown here in the U.S., which grows more pronounced by the day? Is the president more at fault or the Federal Reserve? In other words, what's doing more damage, the trade wars or the talk of more rate hikes? I keep hearing people debate this question, but honestly, how's it even a question? Let me be blunt. The feds, the problem. When the whole thing started rolling over, for heaven's sakes, when T. Powell started saying these real negative things about what he had to do to stop inflation. I know the trade war is bad news for our economy, at least short term, and the stock market absolutely hates it. Regular viewers know that I believe this is a small price to pay to keep China in check. The Chinese government has been waging a kind of economic warfare against the rest of the world for decades. Subsidizing its own industries to steal jobs also outright stealing our intellectual property. Hey! I think we need to do what's necessary to put a stop to this stuff. It's not like China's some friendly bastion of democracy. We're talking about a communist dictatorship here, for heaven's sake. However, standing up to China is going to cost something in the short run. I think the president can get away with this because he just gave our companies one of the largest corporate tax cuts in history. Sure, maybe the tariffs hurt some companies, but business just got a huge windfall. As I see it, Trump has, well, let's say he has an excuse. What the heck is the Fed's excuse for piling on with these rate hikes? I'm constantly talking to CEOs who do business both here and abroad. I always ask them about the tariffs because tariffs do matter. These executives are so much more concerned about the Fed rate hikes, they always change the conversation. The threat of three more tightenings next year, that's top of mind. That made them pull in their horns. In fact, the myriad execs I speak to, only one, Greg Hayes, the CEO of United Technologies, has said that he's more worried about the consequences of full employment, that he can't find all the workers he needs, than he is about rate hikes. On the other hand, most of the execs I talk to understand why the tariffs are necessary, even if they don't like them. To borrow a line from Miller's Crossing, you do things for a reason. Love Trump or hate him, he's got a reason to crack down on China. The policy didn't come out of nowhere. So, what's the reason for the Fed's policy of continuing to tighten? I've heard people say the banks will get hurt if we don't get more rate hikes, but the bankers I talk to no longer feel that way because they aren't able to charge enough for loans to make up for what they need to pay depositors for money. Remember, the Fed sets short-term rates, uh, how much the banks pays you, not long-term rates, which control how much they can charge for, say, a mortgage. Plus, the bankers see an inverted yield curve uh, developing if the Fed keeps tightening next year, meaning short-term rates will go above the long-term rates. They're worried about lending now for head into a recession next year because the Fed is willing to overshoot in order to stop wage inflation. Although the Fed chief seems to kind of backed away from that, maybe like some little bit, uh, and that caused the market to get. Uh, remember, he crushed the market by talking about overshooting. They are also worried about loans to the oil patch for this nasty collapse. Now, it's true the collapse of oil could give content, uh, consumers more spending money and more money chasing fewer goods. Well, that could cause inflation. But the companies that use oil and gas as a feedstock or for energy, they should be able to pass on those savings to some of their customers, which would be deflationary. Of course, if the uh, high price higher price stick... Well, that's pure inflation. They should lower the prices. Look, I'm okay with one last rate hike tomorrow. I told you that's all right. He's stuck anyway. But believe me, if the business people I deal with thought that the president's trade wars were at the heart of this slowdown that I started predicting, by the way, in October, I'd be shouting from the darn rooftops. Believe me, so would they. But they're simply not saying that. I only know what they tell me. It's almost all in the Fed. Yep, the Fed can make or break the economy and, of course, the stock market. And that's why tomorrow's meeting is so darn important. The wrong decision could be disastrous for stocks. But the right decision would create, let's say, a more positive backdrop and perhaps even an oversold rally that lasts into 2019. Stick with Kramer. Micron, huge cut in numbers. FedEx, huge cut in numbers. FedEx, huge weakness in Europe. This is what I'm talking about. There's weakness all over the globe. And what are we doing? We're tightening. I've accepted we have to do one just because I don't want any panic. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow.
2: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.